Welcome back to the Scottish Indie Music Podcast with Gareth Perry and Finlay MacDonald. In episode 6, we discuss a couple of our favourite Scottish songs, one of which doubles up as a guilty pleasure. We also shared our favourite football-related songs, as well as the best gigs we've ever attended. I'm not good at clicking my fingers or clapping. So, Finlay, in the last episode, I had asked you about some of your favourite Scottish pop songs. I think I'd put you on the spot, but I'd also put myself on the spot a little bit with that question. So now we've had a little more time to think about it. Yeah. We can maybe talk a bit more about some of our favourite Scottish pop tunes. Maybe pick one for the next few episodes and see what comes up. Yeah. We've also asked some of the listeners to contribute some of their favourites as well, so... Yeah, some of them out afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And we might be able to play a few excerpts as well, because people who may be watching this on YouTube will notice that we've gone a little bit more high tech than we have been. I mean, people listening will be able to tell that we sound like total professional, like um, Dave Lee Travis and Tony Blackburn and things like that now. Proper rock DJs. Oh, and I see you just went for a fader there, as if you were about to add some silly sound effects in or well, something. And that's what we'll need to yes, do Yes, I can do that if you want. So then, what is the Scottish song that you've got in mind this week? Okay, well, we've been doing this guilty pleasures thing, haven't we? I kind of rolled my Scottish song into a guilty pleasure as well this week. Japanese Boy by Anika. Do you know, the definition of a guilty pleasure, I read some would say the other day, is it's if you're playing it in the car, blasting it out, and you come up to the, the red lights with your windows down, do you immediately turn the volume down or wind your windows up? And that's when you know it's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be one of... <laughs> <laughs> this might be one of these ones. And there's a bit of a story behind it. The, the singer, Mary Sandeman, Anika, she, she was a Gaelic singer. She was a friend of my mum and dad's. And she was big in the Gaelic community in the 70s. Out of the blue, came up with this pop record and dressed up in like geisha type garb. And uh, it's a pure 80s synth pop classic, really. It got number one in the charts. It just, I don't think anybody could have planned that. It was knocked off the top spot the following week by Tainted Love with Soft Cell. Nothing to be ashamed of there, you know. <laughs> but because we're all going high tech this week, I just think this is brilliant. My daughter really enjoyed this as well. My youngest daughter's not often that she likes music that I like. And we've been enjoying this in the car. She's been really getting into it. So let's just hear a little bit of Japanese Boy by Anika. Duck the mic. We should take it to the chorus. Here on my own. Oh, oh, 
There you are, ladies and gentlemen. That is Japanese Boy by Anika. My Scottish song and guilty pleasure, Road Anyone. I think it's brilliant. It felt like I was watching Phoenix Nights and Rave On there on the decks. <laughs> Good. You give a wee hand movement at one point as well. Yeah. Wait till you see me doing my live streaming. I get old John Shuttleworth with that. With the... <laughs> I've actually met him. Oh, have you? Yeah. As a, a child, I met him. Oh, nice. Casio um, MT205. I didn't think it worked, and then I found I dug it out, and it actually does. It's great. I should have worked out Japanese boy, shouldn't I? Yeah. You went for the, the pentatonic scale, though. That was a good choice. Yeah, I was uh, hoping I could have found, found Japanese boy, but anyway. <laughs> right, so you met John Shuttleworth, right? Okay, we didn't know this. Yeah, I was an audience member on Saturday morning television show Fully Booked and he was one of the guests and he played uh, Save the Whale and Pigeons in Flight was the one. Ah, right, okay. I think I know that one, yeah. When I've looked him up on YouTube and things, that's the one that tends to come up. I need to investigate more of his stuff because his songs are genius. You know, He was in the charts when I was a kid, but he went under the name of Jilty John then. The chorus is was really famous in every playground in the country because the chorus was Gordon is a moron. Gordon uh, is a moron. In the 80s, I think he moved into the John Shuttleworth persona. And of course, now he doesn't have to dye his hair. And he's just, it's like Alan <laughs> Partridge, isn't he? he? He is that age now. and he, he's not. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, that's oh. a, a very obscure personality that I've met at some point in my life. Oh, that's a good one. Just going back to Anika, she's actually from the same small town as me. She lived in Dunblane for a long time. Ah, wow. That's a connection. Another connection that we've kind of got. Yeah. I think she may have been married to a doctor that worked there. And that's maybe how they ended up there at some point. I don't think she's from there originally, but she did live there for a good while. This rings a bell. I mean, she was a Gaelic singer. I'm not, I think she came from one of, either one of the islands. We should do our research, shouldn't we? Or the West Coast. But she was a Gaelic singer for sure. I'm not sure how much Gaelic singing she did after Anika, because like being a global superstar. Dunblane is known for its global superstars. No, it certainly is. Certainly is. I mean, that's just that's just you, of course. That's, <laughs> a few yeah, others. It's actually bizarre. It's probably got about ten thousand people there or thereabouts. Mm. Just the amount of weird, famous connections that come mm. from there. I don't. It's it's quite strange. I guess Andy Murray takes some beating, but <laughs> maybe Anika is going to challenge him. Well, Andy yeah. Murray's never had a number one hit. Well, exactly. Is Andy Murray on the 100 greatest hits CDs of the 80s? Exactly. <laughs> so that's a great choice. I really like that tune as well. Yeah, it's a good one. Great. But it's that kind of car window thing. Would you turn the volume down or would you just happily be blasting it out? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so actually, one of the first Scottish songs that came to mind, and I'm surprised I didn't think of it in the previous episode, it has been mentioned as well by Paul Johnston on Facebook when we asked our listeners if they had any favourite Scottish songs. Party Fears 2 by The Associates. Yeah, Belter. I guess we've both picked an 80s synth pop classic mm. that you would class this as maybe a one-hit wonder as well. Oh, well, it's definitely the one that everybody knows by this artist. And I don't think I knew until I was an adult really that this was Scottish. Mm-hmm. Will I just blast it in? Here we go. Yeah. 
brilliant. Aye, just that voice, such an amazing voice. He's one of these guys, Billy McKenzie. It's like you would look at him and then hear that voice and don't put the two together. As that song goes on, the voice just reaches the stratosphere. Yeah, yeah. Really, really hyper. He's curated his art form. His voice is like a, a such a unique thing, which he seems to have created. He probably didn't wake up singing like that, I wouldn't imagine. I absolutely love that, I think, that kind of approach. It's, it's not something that I associate with a lot of Scottish singers as well. Yeah, it's very operatic, especially mm. in that song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do we look? And it got to number nine in the UK chart, especially at that time. I mean, imagine how many records that would have sold as well. Oh, yeah, huge, huge in the 80s. And I did have two copies of it on vinyl i'm not much of a vinyl collector but when i saw this i wanted it Mm. and i got the seven inch version and the 12 inch version Mm. although the 12 inch version did go missing in a breakup at one point so oops if it's out there give us it back (laughs) you know who you are But yeah, just an absolute classic. And I think whenever I show that to friends as an example of a great Scottish pop song, they may be unaware that it's actually from Dundee. He had a quite a tragic end, didn't he? I think he actually took his own life, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of tragic ends, that leads uh-huh. on to my uh, guilty pleasure, which is the younger brother of Robin, Barry and Morris, the Gibb brothers, Andy Gibb. Yeah, they're not so well-known, Gab Brother, really. Yeah, his disco classic, I Just Want to Be Your Everything. Let's go for it. It could have been a BG's hit. Absolutely. What I'm trying to visualise is you pulling up to the, the, the stop sign with that blasting out. Would you be like sneaking the volume down or would you just be like happily arm out the window? <laughs> well, my aircon in the car is not working at the moment. So in the past week or so, I've not really had much of a choice. Uh, it's funny because like with you saying that, I feel like I've faced this dilemma at least two or three times in the past week. Mm-hmm. Do I let this blast out or do I not? I feel with this one, I would go for it. 
maybe it's not a true guilty pleasure then. Well, it's a good way to identify for no other reason, just for this section of the podcast. You find yourself going, <laughs> yeah. wanting to wind up the window or turn yeah. it down. You go, okay, right, that this is one for a guilty pleasure. Yeah, cracking tune. Yeah. I've seen a live version of it and he's singing and playing that guitar part at the same time, that sort of funky lead part that you hear all the way through it. I need to explore more of his stuff. He had a bit of a sorry end as well. I think he, he only lived to 30 years old. Well, wow, that's a bit of a theme running in today's show, isn't there? Anika's still with us. I don't think she's making <laughs> records, but you know. I feel like we should mention some of the other listeners' suggestions for favourite Scottish songs. Funnily enough, the same song comes up twice here, Tinseltown in the Rain, which was mentioned by both Kenneth Brown and Paul Johnson as well. You only went out to get drunk last night by my old friends Kid Canaveral. That was Paul Alves that suggested that as well. Mm. Kid Canaveral are a band that played with a lot at one point in my life, so I got to know them pretty well, really nice folks. I do remember on a previous episode we mentioned a Barry Manilow lookalike may have been in that band ah yes i remember that one now if scott's watching then hello the other one that paul johnson mentioned was serious drugs as well oh yeah i mean that was a big one for me as in i was involved in the promotion of it because i joined bmx bandits as it came out and then it was single of the week in the nme that's a bit of a classic yeah, I always loved playing that one. I always loved the kind of outro bit that just loops round and round. I always really enjoyed playing that bit as well. Yeah, it's great. It's great the way it comes out, isn't it? It's just going forever. I think Johnny and Duncan Cameron had a lot to do with the production of that, actually. There was a lot of behind-the-scenes jiggery pokery and things to make that happen. Mm-hmm. It's got a really great sound about it. So I think we'll come back to that another time. Absolutely. I've certainly got another couple lined up. Definitely got a few. I wanted to maybe just do a couple of shout outy things because normally I think we were going to talk about a Scottish band or an artist or something. But I wanted to, instead of a band this week, mention events company, I guess you call them, Cualis Crack, who do Gaelic live events. You're thinking, live events? What is that? I've had a live event for like over a year. They've been doing them online. So there are a few things coming up. They're a bridge between the English speaking culture and Gaelic speaking culture. And they put on events in Glasgow and they've got a lot of live streaming events coming up soon. Really talented artists. There's one called Galactronica a wee while back, which was really good. So look out for them. Finley, the time has come. You've teased us with this Stuart Cosgrove story for a few weeks now, so I think you need to spill the beans. Yes. Okay, well, I think I told you the last time about going down to London, me and my, my friend, and putting on the kind of uh, the mad manager's voice and pretending to be the manager of the band to get to see all these record companies. One of the A&R people was Stuart Cosgrove. He was a writer for the NME, turned out he also worked for RCA Records. He was one of the guys that actually saw us, got the tape on, fast forward it, fast forward it up to the chorus, you know, because this is what they do. Well, they did then anyway, I'm sure they still do. Has it got a chorus? Right. Has it not got a chorus? This is rubbish. (laughs) That sort of thing. (laughs) Very much like in a major label thing. Now, Stuart Cosgrove, that was it really. I think I might have built this story up too much because he's there wasn't anything else to it other than it was Stuart Cosgrove. But one of the other guys that we saw from Siren Records, he gave us quite a bit of his time. We sat and chatted him for an hour. It was a Friday. And at the end of the day, we're on a Friday. He was very encouraging, but he also kind of like, where's the hook in that? 
and I was like kind of quite kind of cheeky back you know it's like kind of one of these things about being that age like the next song come up it's like right there's the hook there's the hook <laughs> can you hear it <laughs> I didn't I wasn't quite as bullshit as that but it was a wee bit like that next how old would you have been then I was 19 yeah that that was our main sort of flirtation with major record labels and when we get back we just kind of realized God, this is just not really us you know and we kind of um but one of them said like work on your stuff give us another demo and then we'll give you some money to make a demo and stuff but we'd just gone off the idea after that I realized we were more kind of indie kids you know and sort of uh, we wanted to pursue more um just our own thing rather than trying to get in the charts or something you know now, I love that though like mm-hmm. why wouldn't they sign us straight up I can totally relate to that as well because I was exactly the same in many ways and things that I don't have a scooby about still am of course I'll get picked to be like to go to the moon if I apply for it that kind mm. of thing or, or like, be the manager sort of, of Sterling <laughs> Albion <laughs> you weren't even joking about that at that age I had another one like that I applied to be a presenter on the tube you've got so much confidence but also you don't realise that there's a long process involved especially with big record labels like it takes about a year for a lot of bands to get signed in fact more than that there's a courtship in there they'll follow your progress you'll keep in touch but you just think you've had this music in your head it's just brilliant and it's ready and it's like I just wish I had that confidence now that I did then you know you kind of lose it don't you when I turned 30 three or four years ago I came up with this bucket list of things that you're supposed to do before you're 30 uh-huh. and it was just stuff like running marathons and swimming with sharks and all that kind of stuff you've done and a few that, of them have you not yeah well in that year I pretty much did them all but <laughs> the thought of training for a marathon again is just like oh my god like it was pretty hard <laughs> but before it I was just like yeah of course I'll be able to do that but at least you did it. You swam with sharks, yeah? Yeah. Uh-huh. That Why? Was a pr- <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it was, that was really cool. But you're not in a cage or anything. You're just out there. But, I mean, there's some obvious dangers, health and safety risks of that. Well, the, the woman who was telling me about it said they also prefer the taste of fish to humans, so... Well, that's good to know. So the stuff that I don't have a clue about, it's quite good, that naivety. I always like seeing it in people. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just not knowing where it can go and just going for it. I, yeah, you know. I mean, like, I've been doing my own press the last few nights, sending it to, like, The Guardian, The Herald, all the big pitchfork, all these places that probably won't even look at it, but... You know, why you got yeah. you, why not? You know, you got to still give it a go. You never know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've got another self promotion thing. By the way, I've got a few self promotion things. I've got a record coming out on the sixth of August on Glass Modern Records. So that's a quick one. Workspace, check it out. I'm doing a live stream DJ set this Friday night, which will be too late for people to hear. It'll have already passed by the time people hear this, but you can go back and listen again on my workspace youtube it's workspace 041 that's the youtube handle easy to find on the website we should be going like 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 subscribe bell thing at the start if that's what you're meant to do we've never done that Mm. do you not hate being told to do that though Uh, that is a bit annoying we've all probably consumed about 
a squillion YouTube video. We know <laughs> you, you yeah. can do that if you want to do it. Yeah, we don't need to do that. Everybody knows how if it it's works. In, if it's interesting enough, you know, people will subscribe, won't they? It's funny, I've been waiting about four or five weeks to hear that Stuart Cosgrove story. And you could have probably told me in the last episode. Probably could have actually <laughs> just got it. Uh, it would have taken about five seconds. <laughs> Why did I think there was a big story with Stuart Cosgrove? That was, there wasn't. Yeah. There you go. Well, oh, well. Kept it, it had me on my uh, on, on centre hooks for the last five weeks. Will we maybe ask each other a wee question then? Yeah. My question for you this week is, with it being the European Championships football starting this weekend, which Scotland are in for the first time since I was leaving primary school, I was going to ask you if you ever liked or if you have a favourite football song. Oh, yes, I do. And it's not one you expect. Yeah, I liked uh, Ali's Tartan Army and stuff like that, but that's not my favourite. I remember the 78 Moral Cup very clearly as kids. It was like fever pit all over the place. I'm a fair weather football fan. I'm not even a football fan, as you know. You know, I've only ever really supported Scotland properly, uh, but only when they're winning. <laughs> so that's how much of a very football weather. <laughs> so that's how much of a, fo- a, a football fan I'm not really at yeah, I really miss that Scotland being in big championships. So that I was trying to get my kids into that, and they're like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> you want to watch a football game? You've, you know, <laughs> you've never even mentioned it in in, in my life before, sort of thing." <laughs> so I went, but it was great. It was great when I was a kid. Scotland were always in the World Cup and all that." Okay, <laughs> but my actual favourite football song, believe it or not, is Three Lions. I was playing with Teenage Fan Club and we had been on top of the Pops. Me and a couple of friends had watched it on top of the Pops the next night because they used to do, I think it was like, it went out on the Friday. It was recorded on the 30th. You could actually watch it on top of the Pops. And of course, we'd stayed up all night celebrating being on top of the Pops, me and a few friends. The next day, we had to travel down to Huddersfield Stadium to play on the same bill as the Beautiful South and also the lightning seeds were on the bill as well. I was just delirious, you know, because I'd been up all night drinking, and I managed to sleep in the car. It was fine. We were on about five o'clock. No bother. And then after that, I was just that kind of like delirious way where you just, you should have slept, but you didn't. And the entire stadium singing Three Lions was really quite the most powerful thing I've ever Everybody in the whole place was singing at the top of their voices. Uh, it's a great song, so that would be mine, you know? And that's why, because of that moment as well. It's a great song. I think we could maybe class that as a guilty pleasure, you know? Scotland, <laughs> you could. Um, yeah, I, I really like it as well. I remember liking it when it came out as well. I just found out recently that it was actually Frank Skinner and David Bedeal that wrote all the lyrics for it. Ian Brodie never had anything to do with the lyrics at all. Right, yeah, yeah. I think of it as kind of his song. He, so he wrote the tune, probably. Yeah, I think because uh, Skinner and Bedeal had that fantasy football kind of late night show at that mm-hmm. point. And I don't know if Ian Brodie's particularly into football in a big way. Mm-hmm. Maybe he is, I don't know. But he said that he thought that they had their finger on the pulse and would be able to write relevant lyrics for it. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of handed it over to them. That's the first tournament I really remember as a kid. Mm. I would have been nine at the time. Really hot summer. 
Gaza. That was a tremendous goal, wasn't it? Yeah, I, that's one of the best goals I've ever seen. Just wasn't even looking and flicked it over Colin Hendry's head and followed it in. Brilliant incredible, goal. incredible. Yeah. yeah. Actually, and even more recently than that, so England got to the World Cup semi-final uh, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And this song kind of started creeping up again and started making a little bit of a, a resurgence. Mm. And I went to this festival in Dalkeith. I remember the second stage, the lightning seeds were headlining that stage. And it was the Kaiser Chiefs were on the main stage. Mm. And it was one of those sort of in-between slots. As soon as the Kaiser Chiefs came on, 90% of the crowd left the lightning seeds and went to see the Kaiser Chiefs. <laughs> And it was like, there was hardly anybody left. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if that happened to you, you'd feel pretty gutted about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was sort of quite thankful for the people that had hung around and mm. watched the end of the gig. But then fast forward about two or three weeks later, when England had got to the semi-final, suddenly he's playing at Hyde Park in front of tens of thousands of people playing yeah. three lines again and it, yeah. it re-entered the charts so it was kind of nice to mm. that from that moment to three weeks later mm. that had happened to him yeah yeah his ego would would get a chance to recover from that <laughs> yeah. it's bad enough it's bad enough when nobody turns up at your show we've all had that but when they actually leave that must be pretty bad <laughs> yeah. yeah i would ask you the same question then so what do you have a football favorite football song yeah i would say that that's certainly up there, but in terms of tournament songs, I think Three Lions is just about as good as it gets in terms mm. of football songs. But it's not such a well-known song, but it's also a Scottish song. So this is my kind of doubling up on this. And it's called Hamish the Goalie by Michael Mara. All right, yeah. I like Michael Mara. I don't know that song. Yeah. And it's about Dundee United goalkeeper Hamish McAlpine from their glory days mm-hmm. in the 80s. Beautiful piano-led song that's just telling a story it's almost like painting a picture of Tanadice Park in Dundee mm. and making Hamish McAlpine out to be this almost like godlike figure mm-hmm. there's just some really beautiful lyrics in it like there's one they were playing Monaco in one of their European adventures and Grace Kelly had gone to the match I think it was about a year before she died so mm. 1981 uh, I remember that time it was an evening game a European tie in the howling rain. Gus Foy pointed at the side of the goal and said, there's Grace Kelly by Taylor Brothers Cole. Wow. At Tanadice, so on. And it's just like, man, those two things. Oh, yeah, and it, yeah. it makes it out to be some sort of like, Tanadice is like heaven on earth almost. You've got mm. film stars. and mm. It's just that the romantic side of that, a, a pissing down rain European fixture on a, a midweek night yeah. with the Taylor Brothers coal advertising boarding. And then for some reason, there's Grace Kelly sitting just above it. It's, it's just a great contrast, isn't it? I mean, Grace Kelly, she's not just a movie star. She she was royalty as well, wasn't she? She has a, a this glow about her when you hear that name. And just those two things, like Taylor Brothers coal, mm. like that's as working class as it can possibly get. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? yeah. Beautiful. And his voice as well, he, he really had to get a, quite a special quality about his voice, hasn't he? The way he communicates melodies and things, it's, it's like really rough, but it's beautiful sounding as well. He did a great version of Green Grow the Rashes. Yep, and I've heard that, it's good. Yeah, have you got a question for me? Yeah, the question I have for you is, what is 
the best gig you've ever seen? Tell you what, you could stick in a couple, maybe, because there's going to be like, well, I know there's different reasons, isn't there? Yeah, uh huh. I'd always wanted to see Paul McCartney playing the final three songs off the Abbey Road medley. Mm. Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight to the Mm. End. Yeah. And I finally saw him do it a couple of years ago. Amazing. It was at the Hydro. Oh my God, that would have been amazing. It's, it's a really good venue, that, to see. I've only seen Nick Cave there, but it was like uh, huge, but has the kind of almost like the intimacy of the bars or something. You feel that they're actually... We were right in the third row as well, so we were like, oh. we were right there. Wow. Yeah, it was that way where the encore was going on and he was doing a couple of the usuals, Hey Jude and all that stuff, and Helter Skelter or something. It felt like a, a closing track. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, please go up to the piano and start playing that did, again. Did, did you think he was going to do that at the end? Or... I know he's done it now and again. Right, okay. The first time uh-huh. I saw him, he played A Day in the Life, mm-hmm. which I was like, I know he kind of co-wrote it with John Lennon, but you sort of think of it as a John Lennon song. You do, you do. And it was yeah. like the first time he'd ever played it. Wow. So How many like, times have you seen him? Three times. I imagine he always does a good opener. What openers has he done? So, well, the first time I saw him, which was in Liverpool at Anfield, he started with a hippie, hippie shake. Mm. For goodness sake. Because he can do yeah. that voice as well, can't he? The second time I saw him, it was absolutely perfect because it was at Hamden about 10 years ago. There was some sort of technical problem. He was on stage for about three or four minutes after he'd actually come on, mm. waiting for the sound to fix. The opening line was sitting in the stand at the sports arena, waiting for the show to begin, which was wow. Venus and Mars. Ah, oh, right, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the one I wanted to see as well. I really was into that album at the time. So yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to see like that and Magneto and Titanium Man. And mm. he played them both that time. Perfect. See the Anfield one though, uh, Happy Happy Shake. Um, I've got a feeling it's like a Liverpool thing. That was maybe why he did it. Dave Grohl randomly came on in that gig and played a couple of tunes on the drums. Right, wow. It's funny, I was watching Dave Grohl on YouTube yesterday. Did you see Never Gonna Give You Words? Oh, Rick Astley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see the thing on YouTube where he came on and sang it with him? I didn't see that, no. With the Foo Fighters. Actually, I would say it's worth a watch. It's really, really good. They happened to be playing at the same festival, and Rick Astley was came up and standing watching them from the side, and they had been rehearsing it for another reason, for a laugh, and they happened to be rehearsing it, and he just showed up and was watching them, and he was like, we were just rehearsing it. Come on, can you come on and do it? And Rick Astley goes, yeah, absolutely. But it's brilliant, really, really good. <laughs> Yeah. I never put those two together. I know. But in terms of gigs that I was sort of surprised by how good they were, mm. I would say the Jacksons. Oh, right. Wow. So when did you see them? Maybe about four or five years ago. It was like humming and hawing about whether to buy tickets or not. Yeah. And then it was actually amazing. Like, it was so good. And I imagine Still. maybe they could really deliver it, you know, more or less as it would, okay, without Michael Jackson, but they've been doing it all their lives. So when you think about it, it's not that surprising, but I know what you mean. I'd be like, uh, oh, we're still doing some of the moves and that they're a bit slower than they used to be, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. still had the costumes and everything to go with it. Amazing. And it's just the tunes, you forget just how many great tunes they had. Can You Feel It was amazing. That was really ah, good. Right. 
yeah, I can only think of like ABC and I want you back right now and, <laughs> and maybe one of the slower ones. There was another gig that you were at, I think, which was Sheik Nile Rogers Academy. Academy. Yeah. Yeah. It was before he'd kind of really come back in a big way. Yeah. I was surprised about that one as well because you for, again you forget how many hits that he's involved in. I've just thought what the best gig is the first time I saw Burt Bacharach, and I've seen him a few times since then. Getting to see him with the orchestra, him playing the piano, and everything just perfect. Everything was bang on. One of the singers singing "Anyone Who Had a Heart," and she was incredible it was like one of those oh my god oh. seeing him sing in alfie that, like, so i was gonna say that actually yeah because i saw him that was like in a centerpiece just him doing alfie mm-hmm. that was incredible i love his version of his own songs got a few albums where he sings them and i just think he's great at it even his voice is so gay you're never quite sure if it's going to fall apart <laughs> but it's just there's something about the way he delivers it it's fantastic got a very Unusual voice, but yeah, it definitely works. Yeah. Absolutely. What about yours? Should I asked you that question thinking like, how am I going to answer that? There's a connection between the two, really. One would be a big show, and that would have been Queen, the Ingolston Indoor Arena. And it's got that kind of thing where it's big, but it's also, you've got an intimacy as well. I'd loved Queen when I was a kid, but with the time I got the chance to see them. I had kind of moved away from them. I was like in first year in school, but somebody got me a ticket. So I was like, wow, yeah, yeah, I'll go and see Queen, definitely. They were phenomenal live, you know, they really were. But there's a connection between that and the other one because the support act was Teardrop Explodes. A lot of people I know really love, but most of us were kind of too young to see them, but I did see them. <laughs> it was just because they supported Queen. It was like just before they split up kind of thing. And they played Reward and all that. It was great. But Julian Cope was my other one. When I saw him on the Peggy Suicide tour, he played two nights at King Tut's. No, no support act. Both a three-hour show. His band were just absolute the top of their game at that point got a lot of hypnotic type tracks on it so they had that plus all these kind of earlier hits plus the teardrop explodes he played everything and in king touch is a really small intimate venue and he's got a lot of stage presence absolutely phenomenal for a small gig that was one that really blew me away and i'll never forget that's two good ones i think i just actually thought of a really weird moment i had at a gig once it was a really good gig as well. It was when Blur first came back and they were mm. at Hyde yeah. Park. I was kind of near the front and it was a bit rowdy. But I looked mm. down and nobody around me had shoes on. And then I looked up and they were started playing Park Life and it went a bit crazy. Phil Daniels came out, did the lead thing. Mm-hmm. Damon Albarn was sprinting from end to end for the entire song, mm-hmm. just as fast as he could. But then Harry Enfield came out dressed as a dinner lady <laughs> and started like really slowly going around just offering all the band members tea. Brilliant. And then just went off. And then it was just like back to normal again after that. It was Excellent. just like chaos and weirdness for yeah. a couple of minutes and then just went back to normal again. It's Harry Enfield is hilarious, isn't he? I mean, you think about all his sketches and his characters, they're still, they really, really stand up. Fantastic. I think we've done all the things we were going to do. Since I've been plugging things, have you anything to plug? <laughs> you did Jim McCullough's video, which is great. 
yeah, I should mention that. He did, I did three videos for, for Jim McCulloch for his mm-hmm. new album. It's When I Mean What I Say, which has yeah. been released on Violet Records. Very good so, album. That's been good fun, actually. It's been a bit of a learning process because I'm not a video editor by any means. I, I did buy a green screen, though which uh, I've been having a lot of fun with. So Amazing. Yeah. That will be certainly featured prominently in the, the early videos of this album. Oh, great. Brilliant. Nice to get together maybe and do some kind of video project. I think it'd be good to no. do this in the same room as one another now that Aye, Glasgow's in level two. Be, yeah, now that we can maybe do that. It's, it's only now in the last week starting to think about, oh, maybe we could do things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. I've not been to Glasgow since... March 2020. Wow. Well, you're not missing much. <laughs> Nothing been happening anyway. <laughs> Some pigeons and the odd... There was a deer in Buchanan Street at one point. That, that was exciting. <laughs> Until next time. Yeah, we're off to listen to Three Lions. Absolutely. Don't tell anyone. See you later. See you later. <laughs>